Guys, do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. Blue Chew, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as the pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants that extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. For instance, you know, a lot of guys talk a big game, but if you're a one-and-done kind of guy, Blue Chew can even help you get to round number two. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for all our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code locked on. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B L U E chew.com. Promo code locked on. L O C K E D O N to try Blue Chew for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. Put your name to shame, cover up your face. You can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. What's up and welcome back to Crossover Wednesdays here on the Locked On Podcast Network, brought to you in part by Peloton. Peloton has a limited time offer. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED to get started. I am James Yarko, one of the hosts of Locked On Bucks, joined by Tyler Rowland, host of Locked On Titans. You can check out everything I'm doing on Twitter at JayYarko underscore Bucks and check out Tyler at Tic Tac Titans. Tyler, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great tonight. I'm doing great. Looking forward to a, a big game on Sunday. Both teams are still right in the thick of it. So uh, hopefully we get a pretty good football game. Yeah, I'm I'm sure the general feel amongst Titans fans is a little more positive than that of Buccaneers fans. You know, Bucks are are two and four when they should be three and three, possibly yeah. even four and two. Just some some mm-hmm. rough games there where they where they beat themselves and you know, when we looked at the schedule before the season started, it was okay. Well, coming up in October, we have Winston Mariota three, and that's not the case anymore. Give us a little not uh, quite. Give us a little insight as to what's going on with the quarterback situation in Tennessee. Well, it's a, it's a typical question that I get when we do these crossover events, and I and I can't even blame anybody because. Uh, so much hinges on the quarterback position. Uh, basically, to put it blankly, uh, Marcus Mariota had lost his confidence and lost his feel for the position. A lot of that can be blamed on the Titans organization. Some of it can be put on him. At some point, you got to take accountability for your own actions. But he was, I guess, um, someone said this on Twitter, and it made a lot of sense. It says, uh, you know, Winston misses a lot of long contested threes. And uh, Mariota misses a lot of layups, and it's oh, okay. it's it's true. It it work. He just doesn't make the simple throws that you have to make in the NFL to keep the offense on track. Yeah, it's just a five yard bubble screen 
but you got to be accurate and give Adam Humphreys a chance to get three or four yards to stay ahead of the chains. It's just Jonu Smith out in the flat, and he'll probably only pick up about six yards. But you need those to sustain offense in the NFL, and he just wasn't throwing the ball when there were possibilities open. At some point, you just got to let it rip in the NFL and not have guys wide open. And unless they were wide open and it was well-defined, he wasn't making the throws and he wasn't turning over the ball. But at some point, you, you got to take some risk and rip the ball in there to to get things going in the NFL. And we saw the offense pick up immediately with Ryan Tannehill. He just has more confidence. He reads the pocket just a smidgen better, enough to not get sacked every time. And he's got a much stronger arm and can just zip the ball in there and take those chances. So we saw the benefits of that on Sunday when the Titans were able to pull out a victory over the Chargers, who have a pretty good pass defense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was a, it was quite the surprise win. I I would say, I don't think a whole Mm -hmm. lot of people given that Tannehill was the starter were, were betting on the Titans to win. Um, One of the more curious enigmas in the NFL is that of Derrick Henry. Now I like Derrick Henry. I've been a fan of his for a while, but he's one of those guys that will explode for three games and then enter witness protection for four. What, what's been the feel of, of Derrick Henry so far this season? Well, I'm glad you have a pretty good uh, read on the pulse of uh, Derrick Henry and the Titans offense at the moment. Well, I feel like Derrick Henry is one of those guys who's more dependent on his surroundings than others. You look at some of the backs around the league, Alvin Kamara and Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley, they're probably going to be able to produce no matter the circumstance or situation because of their talent. While Derrick Henry is talented, he's not the power runner people would think he is for his size. He's more of a finesse runner, and he's admitted that himself. So it's all about how well things are blocked up for him. He's going to make some yardage after contact. He's doing a pretty good job of that at the moment with the contact that he's taken. Uh, He's tops in the league for getting contact like early on in his runs. Right now, it's like one yard is his average before he takes contact uh, on his run. So if you can give him an open lane like we saw with his uh, pitch sweep touchdown on Sunday, if you can give him just a little bit of space to get up to full speed, then yeah, he's going to be a problem once he gets into the second level for some of those smaller guys. But if you can bottle him up at the line of scrimmage, which the Buccaneers do have a fantastic run defense, that's one thing they can hang their hat on. If you're able to bottle him up at the line of scrimmage and not let him get that momentum going, he's not as effective because he's not a very agile runner. He won't bounce in between holes and, and find daylight. The hole has to be there, and he has to get through the first line with minimal contact to get into the second level and then make those smaller guys pay. So that's why it kind of depends on the blocking and it depends on the matchup. And that's why he can be a little hot and cold. Yeah. The, the story for, for the Buccaneers, you know, for half of their games this year has been going up against former Buccaneers week one. It was Quan Alexander who was ejected from the game. Uh, You know, you had, week two against Gerald McCoy, who was shut down. And then most recently in week six against Gerald McCoy, again, where he had two and a half sacks, had an absolutely fantastic game. Yeah, he was uh, great. Former corner JV and Elliott got an interception. Now the Bucks are facing Adam Humphreys, which I think a lot of Buccaneers fans are missing far more than they thought they would, mm-hmm. considering the Bucks really don't have a a surefire number three receiver. They should be using OJ Howard in that role, but that's a conversation for another day. 
how is Adam Humphreys doing in Tennessee? For those that haven't followed, it seems like it's been awfully quiet. I was real high on Humphreys early, you know, in the offseason when he signed with the Titans. Or you know, has has he been a product basically of, as you alluded to earlier, Mariota's shortcomings? Yeah, I, I, I think it's hard to judge any of the skill position players in the Titans offense simply based on that. Uh, right now, Adam Humphreys has 25 catches, which is the most on the team, which you would expect, but only 229 yards, and he hasn't scored a touchdown yet. You were hoping he would be a little bit more of a red zone threat. But the reality is, for the first six games, this offense was so unhealthy and running at, at such a slow pace, and it was so clunky out there on the field that it's hard to really judge Adam Humphreys and his ability so far. But he's able to make some really good catches off some really good route running. He's not going to do much with the ball after he gets it in his hands. He doesn't have a lot of shiftiness in terms of uh, ball carrier skills, but he runs very precise routes, gets open. And I would imagine that with the Titans' newfound offense and having Titans fans will be upset about this, but actually having an NFL quarterback out there, I think that'll help Humphreys get going and, and give a little bit more of the production that we saw in Tampa Bay uh, when – you know, Jameis Winston isn't the greatest quarterback in the NFL, but he was still able to make Adam Humphreys a really productive receiver and utilize him the correct way. I'm hoping to see more from the Titans, whose outside receivers are the most talented players on the offense, so they want to get them the ball. But Adam Humphreys will be essential to keeping the chains moving and getting some of those four, five, six-yard completions that I mentioned earlier really help in offense. So I expect his production to increase throughout the you know remaining portion of the year based on the offense just increasing in production in general. On the flip side of the ball, the Titans are allowing the 10th fewest passing yards per game. They're allowing the fourth fewest points per game. What has been the catalyst for this defense to rise to the level that it has this season? Uh, it's it's pretty simple, actually. It's It's the talent and versatility of the secondary. The Titans do a decent job getting pressure on quarterbacks. I say decent, even though their their sack numbers are pretty good on the year. They're in the top half of the league in sacks with thir- with 19. So th- they do a pretty good job of getting pressure on the quarterback, but that's only with blitzes from linebackers and cornerbacks and safeties. They don't do a very good job of getting pressure with just their front four down linemen. That's a big weakness for this team. So... The versatility in the secondary with Kenny Vaccaro and Kevin Byard at safeties, with Logan Ryan, Malcolm Butler, Adoree Jackson at cornerbacks, and even the two linebackers, uh, Jayon Brown, who was actually out last week, we'll see if he plays, and Rashawn Evans. They're so versatile and so talented. They can play multiple different coverages. They can play man. They can play zone. They can disguise. They can line up flat and just play you. Uh, the versatility of the back seven and all of the talent in that secondary allows them to do so many different things on defenses. Like I said, disguise coverages, run complex coverages, cover six, cover four, cover three, show different looks. Because those guys are so smart and so talented and and so cohesive, it it allows the Titans defense to do a lot of different things to mess with other offenses. And and you see that with, with the Titans offense struggling the way it is, it is a miracle that the defense is putting up those kind of numbers and that kind of production. They are flat out phenomenal. And it would be scary to see what they could do with an actual front four pass rush with their down lineman that's hopefully developing. But yeah, the defense is lights out. It's no fluke. I, I just have to say, I love Bayard. He was one of my He's favorite great. players coming out of that draft. Best player I, on the team. 
Yeah. He's so good. And I, yeah. I, my best friend um, of over 20 years is a diehard Titans fan. And the tight, I remember the Titans drafting him and he texted me and he goes, who the heck is this guy? And I'm like, dude, you are going to yeah. love him. Yeah. Three interceptions so far this year. Uh, he's he's got 38 combined tackles. He, he's just all over the field. Even last week against a few slants on Hunter Henry, he had some pass breakups on third down. It, he's one thing that the Titans aren't always a fun team to watch because the offense struggles and has for 20 years. But Kevin Byard makes this team fun to watch because he's just so special. And it's obvious when he's out there captaining the defense. It's, it's great. He's fun to watch. All right, and the, and the last one for me, Tyler, before we uh, before we flip the script here, is with as good as this Titans defense is, obviously no defense is perfect. You've already kind of mentioned that they have trouble getting to the quarterback with just the front four. They have to incorporate a lot of blitzes. Tampa does the same thing. But if you could pinpoint a weakness on this defense that the Buccaneers offense may be looking to exploit with some of the weapons they have, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, OJ Howard, mm -hmm. the, the duo of Barber and Rojo. What would you say would be your game plan of attack if you were running the Buccaneers offense? So, uh, and, and I'll probably ask you just to make sure our, our theories line up here, but the way I see it, the Titans defense is vulnerable. If you can prevent them from getting pressure, like I said, the Titans defense runs a lot of blitzes from the linebackers, the safeties and the cornerbacks. Now that's great because you have to manufacture pressure because the front four isn't getting it done. So that's what you got to do. And they're able to do those things pretty successfully because of how intelligent the defense is, but where that opens you up and makes you vulnerable, like you said, is if you're able to block up that blitz and block up the initial pressure that the Titans are sending, now you're going to have some advantages out on the field. And when you have guys as talented as OJ Howard and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and even someone like Cameron Brait, who's been underrated his whole career, in my opinion, big fan of Cameron Brait. When you have weapons like that who can win one-on-one -on -one or find holes in the zone, the Titans are going to have – show signs of weakness if the bucket I would say the Buccaneers may look to keep in some of those tight ends keep in a back and maybe have six or seven in protection on some of these plays so that they can give Mike Evans and Chris Godwin time to beat their man like the Titans are better than the what is it the sum of their parts so Malcolm Butler one-on-one -on -one, Mike Evans or Chris Godwin will probably roast them. I feel the same about Adoree Jackson. Logan Ryan as our slot corner, no. I feel very confident in him playing one-on-one. -on -one. But if they don't get pressure in time and leave those guys out on an island with Evans or Godwin and the pressure doesn't get there when it's supposed to and gives Winston enough time to see it, then that's going to be an issue for the Titans. And we saw that against the Chargers as well. The Chargers were able to pick up a couple of the blitzes. They only got one sack on Rivers throughout the day, and he had time to kind of pick apart. And like I said, the Titans do a lot of disguise coverages. Well, if you have time to figure it out post-snap what the coverage is, it's not as effective that you disguised it. So if the Buccaneers can give Winston time by keeping some extra blockers in and give their wide receivers one time to get one-on-one -on -one matchups on the cornerbacks, that could be really successful for the Buccaneers. At the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and watch some football. Game-winning touchdowns on two-minute drives, running backs racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There's nothing else like the NFL, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sports book. 
Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, and mybookie.ag is the best in the business. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate this offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Well, that that will lead us into this. Uh, Winston had six turnovers, turnovers in that game. I think it was four interceptions. He's had 10 interceptions on the year. That's always been kind of a bugaboo for him is the turnovers. With Bruce Arians, though, who's typically really, really good at coaching up quarterbacks, what is it that is still causing Winston problems with the turnovers? You know, he went on such a great stretch. You know, he had a four-game stretch where he had a quarterback rating of over 100. Uh, he had an 11, I believe it was an 11-4 to four, uh, touchdown-to-interception ratio over that span. Um, he was playing some absolutely great football and the Bucks were two and two in that span. So, you know, a lot of the people that like to put the blame on on Winston, we're starting to see, you know what, our quarterback is playing great football. He may not be targeting the tight end, but it's not him that's losing these games. Uh, and then and then London happened. And it was one of those things where we had seen three losses, the the 49ers, the uh, the the New Orleans Saints and the New York Giants. And they didn't lose any of those games in the same way. You saw the mistakes that were made and then those were corrected the following week. And so it, it began to give Bucks fans a little bit of confidence like, okay, well, we should have won a couple of those games, but we're not seeing the same mistakes over and over. Then in London, every mistake this this team has ever made all the way back to peewee football, everybody made those mistakes again all in one game. Uh, I, I did a deep dive earlier in the season about how Carson Palmer looked early on in, in his career under Bruce Arians. You know, that first year that Bruce Arians was the Cardinals head coach, how did Carson Palmer look early in the season? He had his worst completion percentage through six games in his career. He had his worst touchdown to interception ratio through six games in his career. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald had a, he was on pace for a career low in targets and receptions. It takes a little while for these players to really start to grasp Bruce Arian's system. So although not everyone is fully panicked, there are people that that game against the Panthers where he turned the ball over six times, had five interceptions that was the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of them. Uh, I'm still holding out a little bit, but my my confidence in his ability to turn the corner has wavered immensely. But there's still 10 games left. And if he goes on a six or seven game run, like we saw that four game span earlier, you know, but before the bye week, then he's going to change a lot of people's minds and he's going to earn that that next contract with the Buccaneers. It may not be a massive lucrative deal. It may be a three-year deal where they can get out of it after two years if, if he regresses. But you can see pieces of where Bruce has, has gotten Jameis to kind of change his game a little bit, but it's just not a complete transformation. That takes too much time for it to 
immediately take effect in in the beginning of this season. Yeah, well, that's one thing that both our teams can can take from this is there is tons of season left to change the feeling and change the narrative. But one narrative that I think is probably the most interesting uh, with the Buccaneers this season is the emergence of Chris Godwin at wide receiver. You have a guy like Mike Evans there. You have a guy like O.J. Howard there who I would say, statistically speaking, have been a little disappointing this year. But you look at Godwin, 43 catches, 662 yards, and six touchdowns. My Lord, he's been fantastic. What has helped with his emergence, and why is it that the other two guys I mentioned maybe maybe are struggling to get going? Uh, The big part of Godwin's emergence is his ability to get on the field. He doesn't have – Diva Jackson standing in his way, who's loafing around and and giving fifty percent effort, ninety percent of the hurt. time. Yeah, or always hurt. So Godwin being able to get on the field um, is a, has a played a huge role in in his ability to really reach the level that a lot of us believed that he could. I David and I have been pumping Chris Godwin on on the Locked On Bucks podcast since he was drafted. He's been a guest a few times, down to earth guy and we love seeing him succeed the way he has. With Mike Evans, you know, Evans in week 1 was playing with the flu. Then in week 2, they're playing on a Thursday night. So he has no time to recover after playing a game with the flu, then turn around and play another game. So that was kind of not a huge shock that his numbers weren't there. Then in week three, you know, he starts to explode, has a massive game against the Rams, then gets goosed against the Saints. And that was, it was almost like the Saints and Bucks both schemed him out of the game which just didn't really make a whole lot of sense to a lot of us, but that's neither here nor there. As far as OJ Howard is concerned, this is something that people were concerned about when Bruce Arians took the job. Bruce Arians is not known as a guy who features the tight end, but he has two tight ends on this team that are talented enough to be featured, but they're not getting the usage. I will argue to the death with anyone that, based on pure athletic talent. OJ Howard is at worst a top four tight end in the NFL. However, his usage has dropped him to absolutely nothing. He's, he's not getting targets. He's not getting receptions. He's being utilized a lot in the blocking game, which is creating opportunities for Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. He's being used as a decoy, again, to set up one-on-one opportunities for Chris Godwin, and and it's been used absolutely perfectly. But at some point, defenses are going to stop respecting that because they're going to say, oh, okay, OJ's crossing to try to draw safety down and give give Godwin one-on-one over the top, but they're not going to throw it to OJ. We're not going to bite. And OJ has got to get more involved if this team is going to succeed. I'm hoping that's going to to happen sooner rather than later. But a lot of this, you start to see the inexperience in Byron Leftwich as the offensive coordinator. When you have all these weapons, you have a guy like Godwin and you have a guy like Evans, but you don't have a third wide receiver because he's in Tennessee, you know, you utilize OJ Howard or Cameron Brait in that role. If you need that blocking to pick up the blitz, like you're like you said that the the Titans like to do a lot of, 
Right. Then you're utilizing Cam Braid as that number three receiver, and you're using OJ as a blocker. He's one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. I understand why you use him there, but he's also a human mismatch against any defender in the NFL. His mm-hmm. size, his speed, his skill makes him a mismatch, and he's just not being utilized. So, yeah, the, the success for Chris Godwin is outstanding, but Leftwich and Bruce Arians need to sit down and figure out how to properly utilize all these weapons before they start to leave because they're not being used. Yeah, that makes sense. And Kenny Vaccaro really struggled last week against uh, Chargers tight end Hunter Henry. So if they wanted to get O.J. Howard going, this would be a week to do it. I do want to ask about the defense. Such a strange dichotomy here. They're best on the (laughs) run with 68 yards allowed per game, the best in the league, but then worst in the league, giving up 372 yards passing per game. So what is going on with that difference between run defense and pass defense? There's been so much stressed about how bad the Buccaneers pass rush has been over the years. They've poured a lot of of time and money and draft capital into try to fortifying that front seven. Switching to the 3-4, drafting Devin White top five. You're bringing in a guy like Shaq Barrett, who even with the bye week is still tied for the league, the league lead in sacks with nine you have carl nassib who you brought in last year who's playing outside linebacker jason pierre paul back to practice on tuesday i don't know if he's going to play on sunday but he's back to practice now then you invest the the first round pick in vita vea you got sue lining up next to him they're working really hard to create a fearsome front seven and the result of that early on is how amazing they are at stopping the run. They have given Christian McCaffrey his two worst outings so far this season. They're the only team to hold him under 100 all-purpose yards, not just once, but twice. No other team has done that. They shut down Todd Gurley. They shut down Alvin Kamara. They are a phenomenal run defense. Then you look at the back end. And you have Vernon Hargraves, who gets burnt so much. I, I I have nothing personal against the kid, but if he's not moved to the slot sometime soon, I'm pretty sure fans are going to show up at his house with pitchforks and torches. Like, he's just so bad. Then you have the rest of the secondary where you have Carlton Davis, in his second year, Sean Murphy bunting, rookie, Jamel Dean, rookie, safety, Mike Edwards, rookie, safety, Jordan Whitehead, who's playing phenomenally, but he's in his second year. You have Justin Evans, who was supposed to be the leader among the safeties, out. It's such a young group that they just flat out don't have their legs under them. They don't have the skills to be the shutdown guys that they have to be in this defense. Carlton Davis is the closest thing to that. He's the best cover cover corner on the team, but he gets penalized at least twice a game for just stupid stuff. So he has to get that under control, but they just can't seem to get the two halves to work together. The front seven will be fine and the secondary is terrible or the secondary will actually be playing well, but now the front seven is giving the quarterback 
12 and a half seconds to throw the ball. And it doesn't matter if you have prime Revis and prime Deion Sanders as your corners, no corner can hold up that long. So right. there's just no cohesiveness there yet. I know it takes time and hopefully Todd Bowles is the defensive coordinator for more than just one year. So they can continue to build that, but they just, they have so many swings and misses in the secondary, both in the draft and in free agency, that it just continues to set this team back. Yeah, yeah. Understandably, when you have a lot of young guys and a lot of injuries and things just can't line up, it it can definitely get frustrating. Well, I'm sure that uh, the defense will be happy to know that the Titans' offense is squarely centered around their run game. So if you're able to stop that, it should definitely help them out. All right. Well, Tyler, are you ready for uh, for a few predictions and and uh, matchup focuses? Yeah, I'm all for that. Not uh, not every uh, other host on the Locked On Sports Podcast Network likes to do predictions and things like that, but I am always game. So ready to get to it. All right. Well, if you had to pick your your key matchup to focus on for this game, what is it that you're that you're looking at on Sunday? I think the the key matchup or some. It's going to hinge on some things that we spoke about before, but Chris Godwin is is an excellent receiver. He's been a key cog in the Buccaneers' offense so far. I have, I guess, faith in the Titans' defense that they are going to be able to stop the Buccaneers' run game. Not that effective. 3.8 yards per carry for the team, 98 yards per game. I do like Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen on the interior offensive line for them, but the Buccaneers' run game doesn't bother me at all. The Titans will have to focus on shutting down the passing game, and that will mean shutting down Chris Godwin. So Godwin's excellent out of the slot, so I'm going to look to Logan Ryan, who has probably been the Titans' best player on defense if you just take the first you know, seven weeks. He has been phenomenal. He shut down Keenan Allen last week, who is one of the best slot receivers in the league. So I'm going to look for Logan Ryan against Chris Godwin out of the slot over and over and over again. Whoever wins that matchup, I have a feeling will will win the day for their side of the ball. Uh, that's kind of what, what I see being the, the pivotal matchup in the game, at, at least for the Titans defense there. But I have a feeling that Titans defense against the Buccaneers offense will be uh, what wins the Titans the game if they're able to do so. Yeah, and that that plays directly into the key matchup that I'm looking at, and that is Jameis Winston against the Titans secondary. You mentioned it earlier, the Titans like to bring a lot of blitzes. That's how they get their pressure on the quarterback. The Bucs did not respond to what the Panthers were doing two weeks ago. They have a battered right side of the line. No real word as to whether DeMar Dotson uh, will be available. Alex Kappa still out with that broken arm. You know, here's a guy that played almost an entire game against the Saints with a broken arm, told the media it was a bruise after the game. It's like, no, dude, your arm is broken. Um so being able to protect Jameis, not force him to start to hurry things or force things because of the pressure, which is exactly what got him into trouble against the Panthers. And the Titans have a secondary that can make plays. If he starts forcing passes to Godwin or or getting off of his timing because of those blitzes, then the Titans secondary is going to have a field day and the Jameis Winston train might be permanently derailed. Jameis has to have a good game. Even if the Bucs don't win, Jameis still has to come out 
with a solid outing like he did in the loss to the Giants or the loss to the Saints to get back on track. He cannot turn the ball over more than once. I'll give him one, but any more than that, and the train might be derailed. So I'm really looking for him to try to uh, try to get his head on straight against a very, very talented Titans secondary. Yeah, they definitely can't afford to turn over the ball more than probably once. The Titans offense, uh, you shouldn't give it any help if you really want to want to choke it out. So uh, I understand there. Well, let's get into, I guess, our game predictions. Uh, I went first on the key matchups. If you want, go ahead and give us, I guess, your, your prediction for the game, who's going to win, and what you think the score might end up being, and then I'll go after you. All right. Well, the Buccaneers coming off of a bye over the course of the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years. Not great. But Bruce Arians is a head coach coming out of a bye. Very, very good. The Bucs have to bounce back this week. A lot of that is going to be on the shoulders, as I just said, of Jameis Winston. But I expect the Buccaneers to squeak one out on the road because they can win on the road. They can't win at Ray J, but they can win on the road. They, It's a... It's a dire situation for the Bucks and the 2019 season, but I think they get it done. Bucks win 27 to 20. Okay. Yeah. Well, I too think it'll be a one score game. Uh, I think neither of these teams are good enough to really pull away. They'll find a way to make sure that the other team is is close in it. Uh, while I do uh, understand the Bruce Arians uh, by week correlation there, I think with the Titans playing at home and uh, having you know, a lot of confidence from the win against the Chargers, it was a really emotional win. I got to think that they're able to ride the lightning, so to speak, they're off the Chargers victory, and uh, I do see the Titans coming out on top of this game with the help of a turnover, getting the offense one of its touchdowns. Uh, Twenty-four to seventeen is where I see it coming out. I'll tell you, I could see the Buccaneers winning the game just because it'll be so close. But if they're able to put up twenty-seven points on this defense, which would be uh, a season high, then I will have to bow down to the altar of Bruce Arians because <laughs> that will be quite a success. Um, for his offense and for his team, you guys have you would have to feel really good about the season turning around after something like that. Well, I mean, of that twenty-seven, there could always be a defensive score. Yeah, it's definitely possible. That if the Titans ever do give up that many points, I'm going to have to assume that it would be based on uh, the offense giving up some, which hasn't happened yet. And the Titans have had like ten fumbles and only lost one of them. So oh, wow. there's a lot of weird things going on for the Titans that are benefiting them right now. And who knows, maybe the Buccaneers will be uh, be the benefactor of some regression to the mean. Well, I I can't ever get predictions right, so the Titans will probably win. But Well, hey. I was 0 for 6 <laughs> going into, into this last game. I finally got one prediction right when I uh, predicted them to beat the Chargers at home. So I, I'm not the prediction king myself. I think the only one I've gotten right this season was when I picked the Saints to beat them. <laughs> hey, well, hey, <laughs> a win is a win is a win. All right. So, all right. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for some of your time tonight, brother. Really appreciate it. Really looking forward to uh, to the Bucks and Titans squaring off on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully it is uh, at the minimum, uh, regardless of the outcome. Hopefully it is a fun football game to watch because that's what we deserve. 
All right, and of course, check out everything Tyler's doing with the Locked On Titans podcast and on Twitter at Tic Tac Titans. Check out everything I'm doing over at BucksNation.com and follow along on Twitter at JRCO underscore Bucks. Hope you all have an absolutely terrific day, and thank you so much for joining us right here on Crossover Wednesdays. Labels out here, now they can't tell me nothing. We give it to the people, spread it across the country. Here we go back. This is the moment.